Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. All right, so today's episode is Big Company or Big Brother, the surveillance of employees. That's right, and today we're going to talk about what is employee surveillance, some forms and negative reactions, shockingly, to employee surveillance, and some implications for people, leaders, and organizations. You know, this is a topic that's been on my mind quite a bit recently, thinking about, you know, people working more from home and there, I've heard things from executives, from managers saying, you know, how do we make sure people are actually doing their work? And, you know, I don't have a, a large study around this, but I do have a, lo- a lot of, you know, kind of anecdotal reports that this is a concern that people are having. And it ties into this idea of surveillance. And so we thought we would talk about this because it's a very important topic and it's certainly not going away. Yeah. And so let's say surveillance is just a form of I'm standing over your shoulder, right? <laughs> You're like, you, if you've ever worked in a cubicle farm, like I have once upon a day, you know, you can feel that space behind you. You, you know, you, <laughs> there is an ominous presence. Uh, there is an ominous presence coming from behind me. You know, maybe you can smell his funyuns that yeah. he ate for lunch or something. <laughs> what, was like, that, what was that? Uh, what was that? What that? That one hit wonder. I, I always feel like somebody's watching me. Right. I, yeah. I don't know. I right. missed that hit. Uh, you, you were probably <laughs> listening to something more erudite than, than that. But we'll splice it. I always feel like somebody's watching me. And I have no props. Oh, I always feel like somebody's watching me. Tell me, is it just a dream? <laughs> but anyway, you hate that. You hate right. when people look over your shoulder and it's like, hey, yeah, did, you didn't do that Excel click right. You know, I know the short, you know, like, dude, get out of here. You're bothering me. This is a digital version of that. People are like, right. you know, it's fun to look over people's well, shoulders. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of ways in which this can manifest itself now. And, you know, there's the actual looking over someone's shoulder. But of course, there are all kinds of other ways that are only continuing to proliferate in organizations with the advance of uh, various types of technologies to monitor what people are doing. Some of this is probably good. Some of this is probably or definitely not good. So we want to make a distinction between surveillance and performance monitoring. Uh, you know, performance Both monitor- can be annoying. Sure. <laughs> performance monitoring is usually, you know, kind of this, this whole bucket of of things that an organization can do to provide feedback to an employee about how they're doing on things, right? So, you know, you worked in a call center. So what kinds of things did you get uh, monitored uh, about your work? What what kinds of things do they watch? I I mean, so if you're in a call center, you can hit this button on your phone called aux, which means calls from the queue won't hit you. Mm. So because sometimes you need to get a drink of water. You know, they'll have you log out for a bathroom break. You know, and it's like, really, I can't take a bio break for more than seven minutes, 30 seconds or something. You right. know, every so, every so they're monitoring piece. they're monitoring the amount of time that you're on. Aux. Yes. They're monitoring the, probably the duration of the calls. The calls actually probably are recorded for quality monitoring. Right. Yeah, they, uh, they totally it's it's everything. And sometimes yeah. you just have a sore throat and you don't have any sick days. So, mm. you know, it's ugh. yikes. 
Right. So uh, there's also, you know, the uh, the type of performance monitoring, for example, that occurs with uh, delivery drivers, you know, so those vehicles have various types of electronics built into them so that the organization can know where they are, what they're doing, what kinds of things are going on with even the performance of the vehicle. Uh, and, and some of that can be certainly good. You know, I mean, from an organizational standpoint, it can help you mitigate your risk. Yeah. And let's be honest, like the performance monitoring helped me stay on the phones and drive performance because eventually you're just like, oh, my God, if I answer one more call today, I'm going to cry. Right. <laughs> I, right. You know, but, you know, then there's this other level of digital surveillance that can involve things like, you know, watching your emails, your phone calls, uh, recording uh, either video or otherwise what's what you're doing, uh, watching your Internet activity. Uh, GPS monitoring, you know, there's been stories about organizations that have had people wear armbands that tell them where they are at certain times. And there can be interesting, you know, conclusions that one could draw from those types of data. But as we'll talk about a little bit later, just because you can monitor something doesn't necessarily mean you should. That's right. And so what we're going to talk about today is this digital surveillance. We're not going to get into the performance monitoring. Maybe we'll do another episode on that. Sure. But um, yeah, this it's the it's the technology enabled breathing over your shoulder type stuff. Right, right. Now there's another type of monitoring we haven't even talked about yet, which I think is also becoming much more prevalent and is is interesting. Uh, and that's health and wellness monitoring. So you know your organization knowing how many steps you're taking, monitoring various things about your body, uh, that has some interesting implications. Certainly, if the organization is paying for your health care, they have an interest in that. They also, you know, may just really want you to be well. Like there's nothing, there, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, um, but it can get into some dicey territory when you start thinking about people's privacy, when you start thinking about, you know, um, taking these those types of factors into account for promotion, for other types of opportunities. Uh, it can start to get rather interesting quote unquote um very quickly yeah like i don't know it's like how many steps to get in i don't know how many pieces of free garbage food did you leave around the office for me employer but <laughs> you know i can't outwalk the fork i wield at work <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you know that's what we're talking about when it comes to employee surveillance you know um, um social media and off-duty conduct no, oh, yeah, that's a good, a good one. You know, right? so I know that when I was in the Alabama National Guard, they actually they actually um, instituted a al. You know, we have the Uniform Code of Military Justice in the military, right? They have the Alabama Code of Military Justice okay. to apply to you while you're just an Alabama Guardsman, mm -hmm. right? And so your off duty conduct matters. Same thing with policing. You know, I, the police officers, a lot of places have a place. You know, you can't be involved in a hate organization and be in the army. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that lady who called the cops on the academic that's the Autobahn guy in New York, you know, said some horrible racist thing that was caught on video. That was not at her place of work, but she doesn't work there anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have those kinds of things. Right, right. And, and you know, sometimes uh, there's a, this other power dynamic that can get into play here with regard to surveillance. Um, you know, if you're low down on the totem pole, so to speak, in an organization, it's hard for you, if if even possible or feasible in the broad realm of possibility for you to not 
uh, have to play in this game of being monitored because you know, yeah, that may be the only job in town. You may not have the ability to to seek employment elsewhere, right? So you may may be subject to this. Um, and I think this is another. We're not attorneys, but this is another area in which the legal landscape is continuing to evolve and trying to catch up. I think. Yeah, I I can't tell you how many executives I've coached where where it's like, listen, man, you couldn't live up to the standards you require of your own employees. <laughs> what what what's going on? Lead from the front, my rear, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So you know, there's also this uh, interesting example, and we'll move now to talk about some kind of some examples and the forms that this can take. Um, that was just recently in the news. This is from the clothing company H and M. Uh, and we'll post some links to the stories in the show notes. One of the stories is from the BBC, and the other one is from the New York Post. And they recently settled a case uh, at the tune of $41 million with regard to, I quote from the headline from the New York Post, for tracking workers' personal lives using company database. So this goes even beyond just the, you know, the electronic performance monitoring or the electronic surveillance. Uh, they're doing all kinds of things. So, like, you know, can, we can't promote this guy. Look at the movies he watches. Oh, my gosh. Well, so here, uh, this is from the, the New York Post article talking about H&M again, and they were recently fined for $41 million. And it says, and I quote, managers at the Swedish retailers customer service center in Nuremberg kept meticulous notes on workers' vacations, illnesses, religious beliefs, and family problems starting in at least 2014, according to the Hamburg Commissioner for Data Protection and Freedom of Information, a German, German privacy watchdog, right? And then they go on to quote from the next paragraph, it says, the, those notes based on workplace meetings and one-on-one -on -one conversations were used to evaluate staffers' per work performance and make, de make decisions about their employment relationship, regulators said Thursday, calling H&M's practices a, quote, particularly in intensive interference with its employees' rights. Wow. So this goes, be, this is like watching over the shoulder on steroids. Yeah. This is like, what's so bankrupt in that culture that they like, you know, maybe some of this is a gray area. That garbage is not. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Well, and here's the thing. Not only did they keep all these notes and they're like talking about everybody, uh, but they were also, you know, they would record all this stuff and they it, it would also be visible to other supervisors. So, you know, up to as many as 50 other managers would see this information about employees. And then they had a little problem because they were keeping this stored, this information stored electronically. And oops. That became available to the entire company for a few hours in October 2019. Yeah. Right? And so, Ben, you didn't get that promotion at H&M because of your Teletubby collection habit. Well, <laughs> the, the, the Teletubbies are amazing. I don't know. <laughs> what can I say? Yeah. So this is an example of, you know, there was some electronic or digital surveillance going on here, but also just old fashioned creepy surveillance let's you know try to keep notes on on people and uh it says something like you said interesting about the about the culture there um why this was you know and what they really think about their employees yeah so i mean we see it, you know we did a mini youtube video on this a while back yeah like you can have culture on purpose or you can have culture on accident hmm. and the fact that there wasn't governance or anybody saying this is okay. I, I bet you this kind of thing just organically grew up amongst a bunch of managers based on some of my experience. I don't know exactly what happened, but I mean, a bunch of managers that kind of said, Oh, well, let's kind of do more here. I mean, 
first of all, somebody's off work habits, it would be really hard to correlate that in a study between their at work performance. If they got a Teletubby habit, they just they can't let go. You know, does that make them a bad, you know, possible director promotion or all, you know? Right. If you want to be on safe ground, both in terms of what's right, morally, ethically, and in terms of what's best for your organization, the criteria that you are using to make decisions about people, promotion decisions, who's going to get the training opportunities, who's a high potential, who you're going to hire, right? All of those decisions should be based upon factors that are related to the stinking job. If they're not, then you're your your thinking is wrong. You got stinking yeah. thinking. <laughs> yeah, you got stinking thinking. And you know, and so in, in the agility conversation, we talk about conversation flow to cash flow. Right. If there was a microphone in these people's office, what would happen to the share price here? And the fact <laughs> that this could crop up means you got a bunch of managers that don't have evidence-based ways of assessing and promoting. And so I'd be concerned about their management throughout the org. Right. And they need a, like a match of coaching intervention. Call 1-800-BENBARON.COM. You know, <laughs> we need so, to help fix them, right? <laughs> right. And, you know, I also wonder whether or not H&M would even have gotten caught if they hadn't had the, the data configuration error that led to everybody being able to see this information. Bad but, IT practices you know, in I, retail. If, if that hadn't happened, you know, I, I don't know the, all the details, but... You know, it's it's possible that this could have gone on for much longer, and it really took that to to bring it to the forefront. And we're so, we're gonna tag them on social media. Let's not forget. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You buy all your clothing at H and M, don't you? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, no, no, but no. but ben, so but this stuff. The reason it feels so icky is that we kind of have this presumption that we should have a private life. Mm. You know, if I'm going through a painful divorce at home, I don't want that affecting my career trajectory. Yeah, I don't you know, I don't want to have that kind of stuff. Or if, you know, let's say you have, God forbid, a the loss of a child. It's your right to grieve that in solitude and not have that separate from your work knowledge. Right. Mm. You know, that should be yours to disclose. That's right. why we have HIPAA regulations so that if you've got only two months to live because of some advanced form of cancer, you can invest that two months however you want. And this is an invasion of privacy. The EU set up laws around this, like the right to be forgotten. Right. You know, like and we have some of these. There's this assumption of privacy. These surveillance tools can feel like a total invasion. Right. And, and they are an invasion. Yeah, <laughs> so let's I think be that, honest. Yeah. yeah. So the trick here <laughs> is, you know, I don't want anyone walking from this episode thinking, oh, well, what we need to do is just make people not think that it's an invasion of privacy. Then they won't react negatively to it. No, I don't think that's the answer. Right? Gosh, it's you not... could be one of those slimy managers. You creep yeah. me out there. <laughs> I know. I, it's just terrible, right? So we, as we uh, like to do, went to the research on this. And, um, you know, there's there's a great article that we want to talk a little bit about. This is from the Journal of Business and Psychology from 2019, and it's by Allison Yost and a number of colleagues, and it's titled Reactance to Electronic Surveillance, a Test of Antecedents and Outcomes. And so let's let's talk a little bit about this study um, and, and what they what they found. So what they looked at was they looked at something called psychological reactance. And I'm saying that deliberately because it's 
it's not just reaction. This is an actual uh, psychological term that's used in the field of psychology. And I'll quote from the article here. According to psychological reactance theory, people perceive they have certain behavioral freedoms that when threatened or eliminated, produce an aversive motivational state. This motivational state, termed psychological reactance, which is referred to in the article as state reactance, is directed toward restoring the threatened or eliminated freedoms, end quote. So the idea here is that when we have uh, some sort of freedom that taken away from us, that we react negatively, we have an aversive motivational state. Our motivation goes down, right? Yeah. Like when you're a kid, you're like, gosh, I just can't catch a break. These adults are just telling me everything. Yeah. And then you, you're like, I can't wait to get to college where nobody can tell me what to do. Of course, right. I should probably get to class and not just be a hungover weenie all the time. Right. So <laughs> then you get out there in the public and like we've all felt that somebody tells you, hey, man, them's the rules. And, you know, it's true. But your your inner chimp is like, Rah! <laughs> you know, you, get, get away from me. I don't like your rules, man. Yeah. And then it's that ickiness that comes in when you feel like you got a big brother. Right. To a large extent, we all like and we value autonomy. We like having some control over what we do in the course of our days. Uh, and when we have our privacy invaded, and this is what this, this study looked at, um, that is what we feel we have this this reactance to, right? We have this aversive motivational state when we feel like our privacy is being invaded. And that's the key, key idea here uh, with regard to surveillance of your employees, be it electronic or otherwise, I would think. Uh, we don't like having our privacy invaded. Yeah, and the, and the idea is this is this ickiness, this resistance, this all that kind of stuff is going back towards a perceived status quo, restoring the threatened. Like, so the, the freedoms don't even have to be taken. They should just be threatened mm. or eliminated mm. freedoms. Now, in the military, you know, we you just kind of expect it. It's a cultural norm. But th that's where basic training, it takes like a three-month emotional beatdown and not hanging out with your family and a lot of push-ups and crying in the mud to get you to a place where you're like, well, I guess it's okay that I can't just walk around with my personal weapon displayed on a military post. Or <laughs> I, I guess it's okay when I'm on the top secret computer doing top secret stuff that I can have no expectation of privacy or monitoring as I pass secrets to the Russians or something, right? I mean, it becomes a norm. And that's right. why those, but if it's not a norm, and, th and this is the problem of changing these kinds of norms. And this is why organizations, and we'll get to this in a minute, need to be careful in how they handle this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, and so, again, from, from this study, uh, you know, the idea is that people will experience this aversive um, motivational state to the extent that they uh, believe that they should be able to control their personal information. Um, and, you know, to the extent that they feel like these monitoring systems, the surveillance uh, reduces or limits those those freedoms. And if you do this stuff enough, you know, this is uh, part of what they found in the article in the study. If you do this stuff enough, you're going to have anger, right? You're going to have uh, counterproductive work behaviors. You're going to have less of the, the contextual performance, the all, all that what we call organizational citizenship behavior that really makes an organizational a organization function well. 
and so it really can have a negative uh, influence on how people feel and how they behave at work. Yeah, it's a, it's the team trust, right? You know, if you're on the same mission trying to accomplish the same stuff, you know the guy to the your left and right or gal to the left or your right it has got your back and that you're pushing for a mission. And organizations are trying all the time. They pay a lot of money to try to curate that kind of culture. But when you go to these numbskull techniques that are a beyond the pale, when you go full H&M on your <laughs> stuff, gosh, um, that's when people will start. Well, first, your top talent will be like, I'm out of here right now. They've got mm -hmm. choices. Now, if you've got people isolated, like maybe you're a rural manufacturer and you're the only job in town, well, they, they, they're going to stick around, but they're going to start doing stuff to undermine and undercut your organizational goals and where they're tr where you're trying to get as a company. Right. You know, and some of the things that we've, they found in this study, uh, you know, one of the, the bigger conclusions uh, that we can draw from their data, from the data is that, you know, when people have feel like they have this invasion of privacy, that leads to two things. It leads to, as I mentioned before, anger. You don't want, and you know, in I'm general, getting fired up just thinking about it. And I don't even work for H&M. You're like those jack wagons. <laughs> you know, so you, you, in general, you don't want this in your organization and also negative cognition. So people thinking in a negative way. Uh, and so that's a, a big finding they had here. And, um, you know, this is an important thing for employers to recognize that, you know, when people perceive like they're being threatened like this in terms of an invasion of privacy, they're going to react negatively. Uh, so, you know, and, and I think that the, the key here, again, is the, or I guess the ethical thing is don't just try to get away with it as, a, as an organization. I think this yeah, is Yeah, they would never that. catch our shady stuff. Right, right. Our IT department is well-funded, thank you. Yeah, as, as, <laughs> as long as they don't know, it's okay. I just don't, don't think that that's the right policy. Um, and this kind of goes into, we'll move now into some implications for people and leaders and organizations. Um, it, it really, I think, under underlying all of this is a key assumption that you're making about the people in your organization with regard to surveillance. Yeah. So LinkedIn, everybody, hey, any any hot tips for managing remote employees and and all this kind of stuff? You know, some of that stuff, if you're used to having your team around you, you get kind of an emotional sonar ping. You can tell how the team's going what the moods and attitudes are of everybody. You know, you're kind of breathing the same air, which you can't right now with COVID. Um, so I think some of this stuff is just motivated by a sincere desire to like, I want our team to continue to be the best team in this org. And how do I maintain that standard of excellence with everybody remote? So, but here's the thing. The road to Hades is paved with some of these good intentions. Yep. And this is a time if you're a manager, right? That, that you level up your skills for how to do this. What kind of productivity do you need from your organization or from your team, right? And be very clear. And, you know, you know, that assuming stuff about people, that's kind of some theory X, theory Y stuff, right? Right. Which goes back to this idea to pull that apart a little bit of, you know, are you assuming that people are showing up to work, and are simply trying to uh, get away with doing the least amount of activity for the most amount of pay. 
That's one one assumption you can make about people. And hey, let's face it, maybe there are some numbskulls out there like that. Uh, but the other assumption you can make is that people in general show up to work wanting to do something meaningful, uh, wanting to do a decent job, wanting to feel good about themselves, and that your job as the manager is to support them and to remove obstacles that are in their way. And when you go down this path of surveillance, you know, it really starts to uh, or stems from, I think, this assumption that you're making about people that they must be monitored. They must be controlled. We must make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. You know, I, I remember this one executive team I was working with where you had one guy who was just like, you know, we need to ramp up the accountability around here. And, you know, well, the first thing we need to do is we need to start doing, we need to get time clocks, you know, because we need to really monitor when people are getting here and, and when they're leaving. And I, I you know, I, I pushed back on that and said, well, what are you really trying to get out of people? Do you want just compliance? You want people just doing things because they don't want to break? No, I've met some CEOs. You know? It's like, that's right. A big part of your job is just being around me so I can feel important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and or are you trying to get engagement right are you trying to inspire people to where they're going to show up to work and do the right thing and focus on what they need to be focusing on because it's such an awesome place that's a right. totally different conversation and totally different assumption about people right and a lot of this is it's because we got leaders and uh organizations structurally that don't know how to curate cultural things right you know and so or maybe they're too swamped or i mean there's a whole list of excuses for not curating the type of culture but you have to ask what kind of world do you want to live in with all mm -hmm. the fighting going on domestically in the u.s and all over the place it's not just here right we, you gotta ask what kind of world do i want to live in yeah. What what kind of place do I want? And a big part of the world we live in is where we go to work. Now, if you're a CEO or executive or on the board of director, you guys got to put culture on your list of things you evaluate about executive team performance. And this is where you want to go. Now, that doesn't mean, so like if you're in a data center and you have to have some, we call them eyes on glass people. They have to just physically watch and monitor networks and stuff like that. They put in standards because it helps our brains that, you know, like a monotonous, repetitive work, like you got to have something that can keep you motivated, keep going. But when that's enormous, like, hey, guys, we're going to have this kind of standard because we all know we can't keep any kind of standards left to our own because this is just kind of a messy part of the job for us. That's totally different. And why mm -hmm. is it different? It's totally transparent. The whole team agrees like, yeah, if we're going to beat our competitors out, we got to meet these standards. And I know on like a tired day that I, I might have a hard time. Right. And that also ties into another implication from the study that we talked about, which was that if you are going to use some sort of surveillance, explaining the reasons why and being transparent about the process is important. And that's because we have, as we've talked about in this podcast many times, we have a, most people have a pretty finely tuned sense of fairness. And when we start feeling like our fairness and the justice that we have in our organizations is being violated, that leaves a whole host of negative outcomes for both you personally as the employee, but also for the organization. And so being very careful with that, being upfront and honest is a good policy.
another thing that I think we I want to address again and emphasize is that just because you can monitor certain aspects of people's work lives or personal lives, for that matter, doesn't mean you should. You know, our recent guest on this podcast, Marissa Carson, she made this point and she talked about, you know, um, how there was some push or some talk in some organizations about when people are more working from home, oh, how are we going to make sure they're actually working? Well, this implies that you actually have to have a results-based system for understanding what people are doing. Yeah, if you're asking that question, I'm going to be asking, what have you been doing this whole time? Yeah. Just standing like the evil overlord looking over seeing the cubicle. This guy looks like a slacker. Look at him right. over there. Unless you're unless you have a job, unless you're talking about jobs where someone physically has to be there for some reason. Like you've got to have somebody standing there taking orders at at the at the restaurant or you've got to have somebody as you mentioned maybe in a data a data center like looking at a screen doing something monitoring something. Um those those are things where you do need someone to be doing something um that you could actually monitor. But when it comes to knowledge work, when it comes to actually producing other types of results, it's a different ball game. And that's where you have to work as a manager, as a leader to more clearly define what are the results I'm looking for from this employee, from this person and focus on that and those outcomes versus, uh, you know, the amount of time that they're spending on it or, or those types of factors. Now, some of us have numbskull managers, right? And, If you've got one of those, even some of you may have a great manager who's maybe just not clued into this stuff. You individually, or if you've got good rapport with your teammates, can get together and say, hey, listen, now we're working remotely and we know that this is what we deliver to the organization on the regular. Here's some ways by which you can judge our performance. You can insert yourself into that conversation to give if the if the people above you are like, I don't know, we want to put it, you know cameras in your house so we can see if you're sitting at your computer or not right you can nip that stuff in the bud by being proactive about hey this is how our team we as a team think we should be rated and evaluated and matter of fact if you could use this when you hire new people onto our team it might help us find people that would be a good fit you know right i think your point is actually really good uh, a really good one um because sometimes the urge or the temptation to quote unquote micromanage, which I think there's good micromanagement and a bad micromanagement as our good friend, Mike Richardson, Richardson says, um, you know, that, that tendency for a manager sometimes arises from the fact that the people, uh, reporting to him or her are not clearly communicating what they're working on and what they're doing. And that's where, you know, if, if you, feel micromanaged or you want to perhaps inoculate your your team or your your work environment from quote unquote micromanagement then that's where you need to be proactive and if you've got some sort of numbskull as a manager who has a tendency to do this type of stuff then you can be very clear about saying this is what I'm working on this is pushing that information up this is uh, how I want to be evaluated um does that sound okay with you i think that's a really proactive way to go about it Right. And so, and if you're a manager, you see another manager struggle, like help do that. You know, culture is a garden that we curate and grow and anybody in the organization can do it. So if you're in an org that has an accidental culture, well, that's great because then you can start doing the curation because everybody else is asleep at the wheel. Make the place an ethical place. That's the kind of world you want to live, 
uh, live in. So, so we got the importance of disclosure. Talk about, hey, if we're going to do this, why? Gather some employee feedback on that so they can have a voice in the process. That being said, structurally within an organization, one of the important things you can do is just have an acceptable use policy. Right. You know, the, and the goal of these policies isn't to be like, aha, I got you. Now I can fire you with good proof, you know, like the kind of <laughs> HR compliance thing. This is a, the goal. And this is where that kind of the culture is just like the same side of the same stuff, but with a slightly different slant. The goal is to set up employees for success rather than I gotcha, mm-hmm. which is a cultural issue. Are your policies in your organizations just about protecting you and about compliance? Well, that's a very low level of maturity as far as culture and driving organizational success. It's just like we have these policies because we want you guys to win here and promote and grow in our organization or move on to another organization and thrive. Right. You know, it also kind of reminds me of what we talked about a little bit when we we talked about training, right? Are you training just to say that you trained or are you training to actually help people learn things? And this ties into what you were just talking about, because I think if you're going to have some sort of policy, some sort of, um, you know, set of rules around what's acceptable and what's not at work, which most organizations do, and I highly recommend it. Uh, then you want to actually make sure people understand it. It's not just, hey, here's our employee handbook. It's 55 pages long, double-sided with, uh, you know, nine-point font. Read this in the next hour and uh, provide your signature. That's that's not what we're talking about here. This is about actually helping people understand what you're doing in your organization and why you're doing it. This might require some more supervisor involvement, shockingly. This might require a decent onboarding program in your organization, right? But all of those things can be very helpful to create the kind of organization that you want and one in which people can flourish and thrive. Yeah. So the the final thing is, you know, if you do have any disciplinary kind of items attached to this surveillance stuff, which I, we're not saying it's all bad, you know, if you've got to go into you know, a weapons locker at a military installation. There's cameras there. And there's a recording of every time the, the weapons vault opens up, right? We we document all that stuff, but that's a security measure, right? And that's a security measure with clear disciplinary policy. You know, it's a no-go to just like, okay, we drew some weapons. Let's just leave the door open and unlocked. <laughs> right. And with all the guns just sitting there, right? That that's yeah. that's a no-go. So Make sure that it's clear, it's disclosed what you're doing, those kinds of things, and then just have a clear, like, these are the rules of the road, and these are some of the things that do actually result in termination if it needs to go there. Yeah, and watch for this topic of employee surveillance to continue to be an ongoing debate and something that organizations are wrestling with as technology continues to advance. So today in the podcast, we talked about surveillance of employees. We talked about what it is. We talked about some forms and some negative reactions that people can have to employee surveillance, particularly when they feel like their privacy is being invaded. And we left with some implications for people, leaders, and organizations. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com. 
where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.